days of the American frontier, people relied on steam engines to transport them through wild landscapes to spectacular new places. In this current era, we have something that allows for an even greater adventure, the search engine. So make sure you grab your ticket, because we're going on a first-class ride across the web. Alright, perfect. Well, welcome to the first actual official episode of What's Going On. It's been uh, a hell of a, an adventure trying to get us all started um, from yeah, I feel getting like the we idea. Need some celebration music or something like some <laughs> I know, I know. Honestly, I mean, people don't really understand because they just think it's the first episode. But I mean, we've God, I mean, we've had this idea in the works for. I mean, we talked about it originally about a year ago. Uh, didn't do too too much with it, and then just these past couple of months, you know, with COVID and everything, having so much extra time on our hands actually getting going and then realizing oh this audio is crap or oh we don't know anything about editing it's uh it's a hell of a world just to try and just jump on into but here we are all right so without further ado let's uh get started into our first trip down the web we wanted to start off with a series of digging into communication and we kind of wondered how the radio actually started. Absolutely. Just because that had been such a, a big form of entertainment for people for so long. Yeah, and it's also kind of like one of the first things that kind of, I don't know, kick-started communication because it was one of the first, you know, times where you could just say something and then, you know, someone across the world can actually hear about it. And, I mean, how crazy that actually sounds or actually is, you know? I mean, how much do we actually take for granted about that? It, it blows my mind. Yeah, exactly. You didn't have to hook up a wire from you to the person that you're trying to talk to. It definitely uh, makes things a lot lot easier to spread information, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. But before we even dive into that, one thing that was... Uh, we actually had a disagreement about this the first time we talked about it, but do you think that human intelligence, with all of the help of technology, is actually increasing or decreasing just the general IQ or just intelligence in general? Well, I know when we first talked about this, I was very much in the camp <laughs> where I, I'd say our intelligence was decreasing, but I think we have to back up and kind of go towards what intelligence actually is because I feel like when we were talking originally, we were talking about two different things, um, but... I'd say now in general, I kind of land on our intelligence is probably the same. It's just that I feel like a lot of people in the past had to do more like actual experimentation and uh, stuff like that to work through problems where now we can kind of get anything at the palm of our hands. So we don't really, we haven't really developed a lot of skills Yeah, um, yeah. that other people have had. I would have to agree. I guess this this debate is coming up just because uh, these people coming up with these ideas, it's absolutely crazy to to me at least. (laughs) No, to me too. Honestly, it it blows my mind the amount of intelligence that some of these individuals just possess, even you know with schooling or limited schooling, just insane. And I have to say, Patrick, the first time I definitely was very gung ho, thinking that majority of us you know i I wanted to be positive and say like oh yeah yeah our intelligence increased so much uh but i definitely uh one thing i still stick with is that just what we're intelligent about has shifted so much because you know we're not really in survival mode anymore 
so, you know, most of us don't know, you know, proper farming skills or, you know, any type of agriculture. Like if the world really did go to shit in some kind of, you know, apocalyptic thing, a good majority <laughs> of us would be pretty fucked. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely would be in that boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. I'm not trying to say I'd be good or anything, but um, I, I actually, in my opinion, has done a complete 180 and I would have to agree that I think... In just the last couple of generations, I think we're really going to see a huge decrease in intelligence overall. And the reason why, because one thing that really came up in this you know, episode that we're going to be talking about is the, the popularity shift, in my opinion, that came with social media. Because, I mean, we're, we're, we're reading about all of this like history about these guys who literally changed the scientific world, right? And... The reason why they became, you know, so popular and why we even have this history about them is because, you know, it was all written down and whatnot. But I feel like the majority of the information or celebrities or things like that shifted from scientists to these like celebrity characters or, you know, pop icons or whatever that we see more about today. And so I think that like we kind of shifted from, you know, intelligence and, you know, the growing world in science and whatnot to just kind of almost useless information about, you know, what one dude or girl is like posting about on, you know, some stupid social media. So I actually do think intelligence is going to be shifting down quite a bit here, (laughs) but who really knows, I I guess. I don't know if I think intelligence, because to me that is just like your ability to process information or something like that like and actually create something from that i don't know if in general it'll decrease i just feel like a lot of people don't really kind of work on building it up at all well that's also what i'm saying Uh, because of that ease you're you're talking about but i think we also just don't have as much insight into past celebrities because i i would imagine that there were people like that too like especially in you know, this is maybe is not as far back as we're going to be talking about, but like the days of like the flapper and stuff like that, like that was yeah, all yeah. about like fashion and, you know, that type of stuff. So I would imagine they had at least some similar characters. No, definitely. I just think, sure. and, and the only, I'm not saying that I, you know, IQ is going to drop significantly here immediately or anything like that. But what I'm saying is no, that I think we just have coming up. Yeah. I mean, I fucking hope not. My God. But I think it's the, the reason why intelligence would decrease just because now like those celebrities which i guarantee you know like you said are a thing in the past as well it's just i think now there's so many you know that we have so much information on so many individuals that we can't while we're consuming a lot more it's it's just a lot more junk versus you know just a couple of celebrities you know that were probably pretty local to whatever area you were actually at you know now we're getting the world celebrities that's that's so much more information for us to digest and you know just so much more information that honestly isn't really i don't know increasing any like useful knowledge you know yeah yeah that is true just like our our diets kind of kind of becoming full of a bunch of junk we don't need but that's a (laughs) that's a story for a different time yeah yeah so we said we were going to cap this discussion because we definitely were going to talk about it way too long in which we definitely did we're already at the eight minute mark so (laughs) Without further ado, let's get going into radios. Uh, one guy that I wanted to give a monster shout out, which I'm not going to talk about too, too much, is a good old gent named James Clerk Maxwell, who 
was it, it blows my mind still that people can even I don't know theorize and stuff like this but not have a way to show it he basically came up with the electromagnetic theory and he had math equations to show how it would work but he couldn't think of like a real actual test to put that theory uh in action so he had this <laughs> he had this whole theory like worked out on paper but besides that he's like i don't really know and so unless there was some other mathematician or something like that that was able to create something which it does come in the future but initially it's just kind of like well this is where we're at with it so (laughs) (laughs) that got me kind of excited so yeah just a quick shout out to him but the main guy we're looking at is heinrich hertz he was a german fella who grew up with a knack of tinkering and uh, originally a love for engineering and he was so good at this that when he was a teenager he built his own spectroscope and galvanometer uh patrick do you know what either of those are just off the top of your head uh i have no idea I know that's that's what I thought initially as well, but I, I think you is might that uh, like spectroscope measuring like sound wavelengths or something. No, are uh, uh, kind of almost. Um, so the spectroscope. I'm kind of trying to cheat because I kind of know what he yeah. is, just because his name is Hertz. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that came with like later work of his. Uh, but a spectroscope is I don't I I couldn't really find the best example of this, but you know those like little like pyramid uh type instruments that are basically clear but if you hold it up to light it reflects all of the uh the oh, light yeah, spectrum yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so i mean that's what that was but i was like how the how the hell do you build that as a teenager and like what did you even use that for you know what i mean like first guy who's you know what were you doing in your teenage years playing cod with me or i don't know kicking around a soccer ball this guy's in his garage just going crazy making pyramids oh man. dude uh, i know wild and then the galvanometer like detects and measures like uh weaker like electrical frequencies not too sure like what he was even doing with that but i i don't know i'm, I'm impressed that he was even able to be doing that while he was I a mean, teenager how would you even know it's measuring anything like i, I, I... <laughs> yeah i don't know i feel when i research these people i'm just like wow i really don't know anything (laughs) a little over like like i can barely understand a summary of their work yeah yeah. how to actually do the work (laughs) these guys are just going crazy making stuff as teenagers my guy a different time but whatever i say that's another thing i just think that it was like the cool thing not maybe that wasn't the cool thing to do but it was still just like you know it's on the cusp of you know technological like breakthroughs and so you know the headlines are just like holy crap we have electricity holy crap we have a light bulb we're like this is all this and then you're just like oh that's awesome and i don't know so maybe they're working with that a little bit more often but definitely not doing that now but yeah so he was really into tinkering and all that and even went to like college and started doing some like engineering stuff and he was like nah i'm not really about this one bit and he switched completely over to like science uh even though like engineering is still pretty hefty like chunk of that that he was using so he was just uh just wanted to change it up a little bit uh and came his biggest contribution into the creation of the radio and that was with the confirmation of electromagnetic radiation and what that is it's actually a pretty cool uh little experiment that he had going he would basically take electrical charges and would connect it to these like copper wires or poles uh, that had these like little metal balls 
at the end of them and the balls themselves were separated by a little bit of distance and he would turn on the electrical charge uh, and when that charge would turn on, a small bolt of electricity would actually like pass in that open little gap between the two balls. And if he put a detector, which is basically, I would describe it as a septum piercing, <laughs> a little metal septum piercing about a meter away, he would notice that the electrical pulse that came through those two little balls would jump and would go in between the other two little metal balls of the septum piercing so far away is and that so Patrick, a coherer is that what that is the little i i don't know i didn't try to find the name for it at all because honestly i saw it and i was like that's a septum piercing and i thought that would be the most realistic description that everybody would actually understand <laughs> okay i'm not so sure I if that be. is like a, a instrument used later on or not but i was just curious not too sure, not too sure. And if anybody wants to call me out for trying to make this very basic, you are totally in the right. Because they're, I mean, every little part has its own name and everything that they were trying to give me descriptions of. And I was like, no, it's okay. I'll, even the generalization Except of like what he was, yeah, even what he was doing. I was just like, all right, we're going to simplify this <laughs> for me at least. But no, Pat, so this is where I wanted to ask you a question. With most science experiments, I feel like things are basically discovered accidentally and i understand that hertz was basically a genius for his time but do you think that he planned for that second electrical current to like you know jump in between the little septum piercing balls or do you think maybe he was like doing some kind of conduction work with the original like apparatus and just happened to notice something and was like what the hell and then try to go from there i i feel like the second one uh, just I because I feel like I've heard from like, you know, listening to some other scientists that that is what a lot of science is. It's just like you're kind of doing one experiment and then mm -hmm. you notice something weird and you're like, wait, what's going on there? Like, let me try and figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I figured. I mean, how it would be really fucking awesome if he did just like actually plan this all out and then the first couple of times he's like oh perfect is exactly what i was going for <laughs> um but i feel like that just never really actually happens in science but either way so he saw you know the electrical current bouncing between the two septum piercing balls and he was like oh that's pretty strange that you know some kind of electrical currency is going in between the two and they're not even touching at all so what he started doing with that is once he saw that there was some type of electrical currents, uh, he actually like started moving around that little septum piercing and started doing just the exact same experiment and trying to figure out exactly where where that little septum piercing needed to be to be able to conduct that electricity. And so when he was doing that, he was mapping out the certain locations that actually would give that spark, right? And he determined that it was actually in the shape of a wave, which confirmed what I was talking about before with James Clerk Maxwell and his electromagnetic theory. So while he was just doing this little thing on his own, he actually confirmed somebody else's theory. Uh, but it was actually the first you know, example of this and test that wasn't there before. Uh, so he basically figured that all out, which is super cool. And going from there, he, I don't know how he he determined the, the speed of the wave or anything like that. It said that he used some type of rotational mirror to, you know, see how quickly the, like, spark was traveling in between the two. But, I mean, it had to be so quick because it's basically the speed of light, which is insane. Um, and so doing this, he confirmed the existence. You didn't have a stopwatch out there? 
I mean, do you know how quick you'd have to like boom, 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 boom? Like it would just be it. It'd be so stupid. I have no idea. <laughs> but by doing this, he confirmed the existence of you know any kind of electrical frequency, and that became coined as the Hertzian waves, or as we know, radio waves today. And with that power of an electrical current uh, being relative to the frequency of those waves, that basically just shows you know any type of electrical power, which is why electrical power is actually known as Hertz because of our good old boy, Heinrich. And that was about the biggest contribution, and it's actually really sad, uh, but Mr. Hertz had a rare condition which caused uh, inflammation of the blood vessels. Uh, so he originally went to the doctor with pretty severe migraines because the blood flow was just getting restricted. But doctors believed that he had some type of infection and started performing multiple sur- surgeries to be able to figure out exactly what was going wrong with him or just wrong with his body. And the surgeries actually compromised his immune system with the condition that he had. And he died at 36. Wow. So I know, I know. That's such a genius and did all these things and he was only 36 so r.i.p to mr hertz but yeah i see a blood poisoning yeah 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 because i've never I mean, even I, heard of that that's crazy I, yeah the scientific name for it was absolutely i wasn't gonna try and and say that but yeah it was something <laughs> that it just restricted the the blood flow so much that he had some type of i don't know some type of issue and that's why the migraines came you know, I mean, you're not getting any kind of blood to the brain. You're pretty much screwed. Uh, and then going to the doctors actually kind of helped him kick the bucket at that point. But <laughs> pretty sad. And then, you know, obviously that's it. His whole family life wasn't really... He was only married for a couple of years, had a couple of daughters, but they never got married. So the whole hurts kind of died off with him, but is known in the textbooks and going forward. So, But his legacy did kind of live on because that... His death is what actually kind of inspired the next guy that we're going to talk about to kind of get started in this. His name is, you know, I'm not even going to try the first name. Uh, (laughs) I I thought about it, but I'm just going to go with his last name, uh, Marconi. Um, And he was born in Bologna, Italy, which is spelled the same as Bologna. I was about to say, it sounds Bologna. He wasn't actually... uh, born i don't know maybe none of this exists but uh uh he he was basically <laughs> born to an aristocratic family and he never actually went to any schooling he had private teachers who would teach him things and then when he got to the age of around 18 he became acquainted with some university of bologna professors uh and started sitting in on some of their lectures and stuff like that just kind of randomly, which kind of interesting because you would think that the university would want to charge him and like officially enroll yeah. him. But isn't that know, strange? Kind of doing that I feel like that under was, the table. I feel like that was so common back in the day. Was just for people just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go attend like a lecture at you know some type of local college. But nowadays, I don't know. I don't think people do that. Like I don't. I don't know if it's like illegal or frowned upon. But that just kind of died off uh, pretty heavily, honestly. Yeah. Could you imagine yeah. I doing mean, that? I, I mean, do I you think go. they Yeah, I mean, but it would have to depend on the speech in which like professors don't really kind of put out any kind of like information of like what they're going to be talking about that day unless you're in the class, you know? Yeah. Like And then it usually builds upon what they just talked about. Yeah, yeah. could you imagine just attending a random lecture and they're just like talking and just look over you like I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I did that even when I attended all the Yeah, true, before. true, true, true. I have the glasses. I was like, shit, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I just stared off its face, but uh, good times, good times. But yeah, I guess one of the physicists at the university, Augusto Rigi, uh, I, I definitely pronounced that wrong. He was a physicist there and was kind of the one that Marconi would sit in on the most. And then once Hertz died, uh, this physicist actually started doing a lot of reviews and papers about Hertz's work, um, which kind of helped spur Marconi to actually dive more into the field of telegraphy, which is Hmm. constructing communications for transmitting information, I guess. Okay, so, like, experimenting with, like, communication or, like, machinery-wise, or what do you mean by that? So it's, like, long-distance transmissions that are usually wireless, kind of like a telegraph. Okay. Like, the whole boop-boop-boop-boop, the dot-dot-dash-morse-code type stuff. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I guess, you know, that's, that's kind of the work that Hertz was into is kind of these waves and that's probably that's the start the, of it too right like the start of that technology yeah yeah i i guess the physicist rigi i still don't know his name was interested in trying to develop hertz's work into an actual technology to kind of harness those radio waves in order to produce communication that was kind of his idea and passion there but he kind of encouraged marconi to conduct experiments on that and actually gave him some ideas and pointers on how to get started Hmm. before he passed yeah yeah he's kind of passing on the torch he's like yeah i don't really have time for this so yeah i I know the end is coming i know the end is coming my guy please (laughs) here's my work (laughs) that's crazy uh marconi's original experiment with this was creating a, a storm alarm so basically that captured radio waves from lightning and would ring a bell whenever lightning would strike in the area. What? Um, and that was using the device that I mentioned earlier, a coherer, which basically the resistance inside of that device changes when exposed to radio waves. So that's what creates the, the transmission there and would kind of like send a signal to a bell to to go off i mean i can (laughs) i like half understand exactly what you're saying and but just how does some guy just like sit down and like create that it blows my mind you know what i mean like where would you even start how did he even i understand he had a professor helping him out a little bit but that's just absolutely insane i cannot imagine just sitting in my garage and just like oh yeah yeah, we're gonna keep twink 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 they're gonna harness the energy of lightning (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I mean, this this co- coherer device to me, I didn't get into the history of that too much, but like it's basically like a bunch of metal shavings inside of a big tube that the metal changes when it is interacting with radio waves and stuff like that, which, you know, causes different flows of, you know, those waves through it, mm-hmm. which to me is like how does someone create that without there being a whole bunch of technology about this type of radio waves already? It's crazy. 
Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, they're—I mean, they were the forefront of it, you know. I mean, I can understand that. Definitely adding to the drive, thinking like, "Holy shit, I'm going to change the world by doing this," and which is, you know, we're all thankful for sure. Because I mean, the fact that we're using it right now, uh, <laughs> definitely yeah. relevant. Super cool though, insane. Still, uh, hats off to any person that was involved in any of this. So, yeah, I mean, I—I I definitely couldn't construct something to ring a bell whenever there's lightning around. Yeah. What I'd, I'd probably but, uh, spend the whole I guess life. seeing that you know his his uh, family kind of started encouraging him to kind of work on that some more be- because that's honestly a pretty impressive feat, uh, especially at that time. So I guess he continued to experiment with that, trying to transmit these radio waves over longer and longer distances. Originally, scientists had thought that these waves were limited to a range of sight and therefore the prediction for how long you could actually transmit some of these waves was about half a mile Hmm. and marconi created an antenna so he could kind of extend the range Uh, and this antenna was basically just a copper sheet that was hung up and then connected to (laughs) some wires in order to basically be like a big bullseye for the for the wave that's perfect that's awesome i mean i don't fucking know like that's so cool i mean the fact i I don't know how would you make an antenna only thing i'm thinking of is like the tinfoil alien stick basically yeah you know like a radio antenna now but good it was basically just like a big sheet of of copper um (laughs) but that actually insane helped to be able to send Morse code, which at the time was, you know, transmitted through wires and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was able to transmit, you know, over the air to a receiver that then recorded the messages on a piece of paper. So he was able to record the dots and dashes sent from a different location. And he actually was able to achieve that half mile expected value that they had at the time. Damn. Um, but, you know, he kind of eventually wanted to improve upon that just because he, I don't know, he saw a use for the technology. So he wanted to try and make it as best as he could. Uh, and then in 1895, he kind of messed with his antenna design a bit and grounded the transmitter and receiver and made the antenna bigger because I guess how else would you do it? Let's just make it bigger. (laughs) Now it's a huge bullseye. (laughs) Yeah, creating something called the the monopole antenna, which reduced the the frequency of the waves, which meant that it could increase the distance that it was able to travel, uh, getting it to two miles and over hills, which I guess completely defeated what was thought to be possible at the time. Both in distance and then thought to only be at line of sight. Hell yeah. It's all about that frequency of waves, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then that led to his his first patent once he moved to England after not receiving, I guess, the praise that he thought he should be getting from the Italian government. I guess they didn't think it was as cool as he did. Uh, but he got <sighs> his first patent called Improvements in Transmitting Electrical Impulses and Signals and Apparatus Therefore, Mm. which I think is hilarious that that's what you would call 
a patent for this. It's just like, oh yeah, just transmitting signals and the thing to do it with. <laughs> it was just very straightforward. I mean, he didn't need anything else, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, good he, on he, him. He needed a, a branding guy. Yeah. <laughs> Could have definitely used that. All right, I'm going to steal on over here for a little bit because there is another person that I wanted to talk about. And his name, he is the American scientist. Well, he is, he is kind of an American scientist, but Reginald Fossenden. He's the unsung Canadian hero of the radio. I was going to say, wasn't he born in Canada? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born in Canada, but majority of his work was done over in America, which is, you know, so he's the unsung Canadian hero of the radio, but basically everything he did is in in America. Whatever, though. Uh, he was a, a Canadian gent who was just driven by uh, basically his passion for his idol Thomas Edison um he absolutely loved what you know Edison was doing and basically the only thing he wanted to do he didn't really care what he was working on he just wanted to work for him uh so before he even finished high school he decided to just said fuck it and moved to New York so he could make his dream a reality and basically found uh Thomas Edison's company and just practically begged for any type of job uh edison was definitely against it for quite a while but uh Fessenden was pretty uh pretty persistent so eventually he actually was able to work for edison by just laying underground electrical cables and he did that for about like four years but he was eventually laid off due to some financial issues that the company like ran into but he had such a good work ethic they actually impressed thomas edison and who gave him a recommendation for a gig over at the university of pennsylvania which is insane that he was just like screw it i don't even have a high school degree or anything like this i'm just gonna work for the guy and then edison's like yeah you're a pretty good worker and now he's a professor how wild is that that is pretty funny no schooling at all hey what did you yeah. used to do i laid wire <laughs> nice dude well i mean it is it was his passion you know so basically anything you know electrical at the time it was basically yeah, just he was just forte. learning all about it probably all yeah time. yeah yeah especially i mean just imagine working for edison you know the amount of like you know intelligence of like the individuals that you're running around with i'm sure he learned so 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 much and he actually was even though he didn't graduate high school he was a pretty smart guy for his uh you know, lack of education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Marconi, who, like, he didn't officially go to school, but then he ends up getting honorary PhDs and stuff like that. Not to spoil too yeah. much, but... No, no. I mean, it's still absolutely insane. Yeah, so he, he gets this job at the University of Pennsylvania, and basically, I mean, Hertz came out with this uh, experiment that, you know, kind of blew up, and so the whole world was trying to use just the proof of you know these electromagnetic radiations to be able to increase or improve the morse code system or morse telegraph system that you were talking about because the thing is, is once you can make this wireless just imagine the amount of money you know i mean just communication you know unwired for over a farther you know distance there was just so much money for it and for the first time Fessenden, you know actually started getting a university pay and had multiple assistants working with him so he was actually kind of in the race as you know one of the four front runners in this uh ex you know experimental game but actually it was really sad it took him kind of years to really get anywhere he struggled trying to gain any traction or improvement through experiments and got to the point where he basically 
almost gave up. But he was one of the first individuals to think. Uh, he it, it's the weirdest story, and I was going to talk to you about it. It it's always like a super strange situations it says that he was by a lake throwing rocks into into the water and was watching the ripples of the water and was like oh maybe like electrical you know or magnetic uh radiation maybe the waves are a continuous thing and not just you know a little circuit of electricity that's coming through maybe we just like you know aren't doing it long enough and i'm just like what are you talking about how why why is that related to him throwing like rocks in a lake is that really what gave him the idea no that was definitely added afterwards yeah no exactly that's just like some extra flavor shit that i don't know i mean he stewed over this for four years by an apple yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and then throwing a rock in a lake he's like i've done it i got it (laughs) no way uh whatever so he was thinking maybe that it was some kind of continuous you know currency that needed to happen and maybe he just that was just it he he had the idea but he was still struggling to be able to even come up with a you know a proper way for it because he just needed more power at the time so while he was tinkering with the transmitter and receiver Iraq <laughs> of course this is what i was talking about you know always accidents in science um but his assistant mr kittner accidentally jammed one of the morse code keys which provided that like continuous currency that we were talking about. And the receiver was in a different room with a uh, Fessenden and it just like, you, know, you ever, I don't know how to describe it, but that old like radio thing where there's just like too much power and you get that like electrical howl where it's like, you know, I can't give an example of when I've heard that, but I feel like I understand, you know, <laughs> Uh, I guess I haven't listened to that much radio to know what you're talking about. I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that somebody out there actually somebody. Understands what there's I'm one person about. who really gets that, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I totally. <laughs> I've totally listened to that shit. Um, but yeah, so some kind of like extreme electrical howl came through, and Fessenden was like, holy shit, if that can come through. And we just increase the, you know, frequency, which means increasing the electrical power. I guarantee a human voice can be transferred over to the receiver, which I still don't understand really how we got to that idea. But maybe with, you know, the, the rock in the it's lake. It's another thing, he was like, rock in the pond thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that it, that it was just an accident by his assistant, like I'm sure his assistant's like, shit, 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 shit. While it's like happening, he's like, I'm breaking the <laughs> most expensive thing in this university. And then Fezzedin comes in and is like, you've done it. Oh, my God. That must have been such a good feeling. Yeah. He okay, like calls so- him into his office all serious. Do you know what you've done? <laughs> <laughs> you gave me a brilliant you just, idea. You just changed the course of human history, and I'm sure you're feeling like you're shitting your pants right now. But hell yeah. So that happened. Um, but he realized pretty quickly that with the salary that he had, I mean, he was already blowing through the university's money just to be able to really go nowhere with his experience. But he realized that he needed to have a generator that could produce enough power that he needed to get different jobs so he basically quit and it's kind of a sly little thing that he did but he bounced on over to the united states weather bureau and he basically sold the idea of the radio to the weather bureau stating that once he creates the radio you're going to be able to broadcast the weather you know all the things they were doing over to the public so you know they would actually be important in you know the eyes of society and how that would just basically change the world which it does now because i mean you can't tell me if you're trying to make a trip or something like that you're always checking the weather you know 
Yeah, I just like how you phrase that. Hey, do you want to actually be important for once? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. It's kind of like what he did. Almost. It's just like, hey, like, do you want to be like the forefront of like changing the world and, you know, become really well known and popular for it? <laughs> and they're like, absolutely. Fuck yeah. Whether man um, so, pushes his glasses up onto his face. Oh, of yeah. course. <laughs> absolutely, my guy. And so he does that and he gets. He gets the fucking job. He just comes in there. And so basically what he's doing is he's creating like these generators and he's also doing like creating some kind of like receivers and stuff for the weather bureau himself. So he's like giving them a little bit of a job, but he's basically using the generators he's creating, which he advertised, you know, help the company. But it's mainly to like help the experiments that he's doing. So it's kind of a good two for one, which is pretty funny. So he opens up a new lab in Cobb Island, Maryland. And he has all this generators and everything created. And then he opens up a transmission station or a receiving station about 50 miles away in Arlington, Virginia. And on December 23rd, 1900, he added a microphone into the setup. And he said the famous lines, one, two, three, four, is it snowing where you are, Mr. Thiessen? If so, telegraph back and let me know. Mr. Thiessen was a assistant of his, this weather bureau, and he used the Morse code to be able to telegraph back that he heard them, and he said that it was indeed snowing, and for the so for the first time, the human voice was um, on the air, which is actually a really cool to- uh, coin that I did not understand until like doing this research. You know, the voice being on the air, it's because it literally mm-hmm. is through like the the electromagnetic radiation. But in do- saying that, I had another question for you, Patrick. So it said that he added a microphone to the setup. Who invented the microphone and why before the radio? Like, what? Well, see, I mean, I think that that's probably part of, like, the telephone, which was invented before this. And I kind of was thinking the same thing. I Because my brain, when I think of telephone now, thinks wireless. But, yes, telephones used to have wires. Um (laughs) But yeah, the telephone was definitely made before that, so I mean, I would guess that it had to have some okay, sort of okay. microphone to pick up the voice. Uh, and that. I did, I did do a little bit of research into it, and the microphone was invented like eighteen, like seventy-seven, I believe. Uh, yeah. Don't quote me on that. We'll do an that episode. That was around on it later. the time of the telephone. Everything well. kind of going on. Okay. Yeah. Geez, just imagine that technology that's all coming out. You know, just living in that time, people are like, you can talk over this shit now. And then other people are like, you can do it wireless in like a decade. That's so cool. <laughs> it's so crazy. But yeah, just a crazy uh, first time. And then uh, one thing I wanted to say was that Fessenden really thought that he was like going to have, the, you know, kind of the world by his ball or by the ball. <laughs> I said that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> have the world by the balls. But because he he did this about a year before Marconi had his real big breakthrough about sending that Morse code over a long distance, which I'm sure is what you're probably about to talk about now. But the fact that at this point, he was so much farther ahead than other people, America thought for sure that he was going to be like the go-to guy in um, figuring basically all this out. Uh, But we'll learn here pretty shortly that uh, sadly he was not. Yeah, so I guess Marconi kind of moves to... England and starts really diving into his experiments, trying newer and newer things. He tried transmitting over longer and longer distances after his first transmission over hills worked, and then he moved to transmitting 
over open seas to see if the waves could travel over there. Because for the most part, he wasn't actually a scientist. He was more of a tinkerer. So he was just trying to figure out how different things work without really getting too deep into all the theoretical parts behind it. But eventually... Isn't that kind of crazy? Sorry for interrupting. It's just like all these people were never coined scientists. It was just always tinkerers. Like, how crazy is that, though? Like, you know, they're like, I'm just doing this for fun. You know, like, yeah. I mean, people are now, like, that's, like, scientists is their damn job. No one's going to call themselves, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a PhD in tinkering. Like, that's, <laughs> I don't know, absolutely insane. Sorry, I just think it's fucking hilarious. You can keep going. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. I mean, it it is so interesting. Like, I, I, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but when he accepts his Nobel Prize, he actually admits that he didn't really understand how his invention worked. So, I mean, <laughs> I just think that that's Insane. hilarious. That is. Like, what? Changing the human history forever and literally admitting while you're getting, like, you know, one of the most prestigious awards. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing or how it's working. <laughs> <laughs> wild, just keep on wild. tweaking things and seeing yeah, how it goes. Insane. Insane. That's awesome. Good for him. But uh, eventually, his transmi- or he goes bigger and bigger with his transmissions, which I always thought it was interesting, too, because he had to place a receiver in the other spot. So he, he was racking up a lot of miles there, just oh, yeah. going back and forth, trying to set up different locations. But <laughs> he was able to transmit across the English Channel from England to France. Uh, and then shortly after that, he actually was the cause of the very first SOS signal because one of the stations that he had set up was able to actually receive a signal from a ship that had just struck ground and was stranded. So that was kind of one of the beginning uses of actually using this technology to help people improve their lives or or I guess maybe save lives. But then he continues on to that trying to work to develop this into an actual kind of business because he was kind of oriented in that sort of way. So he takes a trip to the U.S. to transmit or uses transmissions to send messages for America's international yacht race that was taking place (laughs) in 1899. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. A very, you know, common man sport. Uh, (laughs) But uh, while he was there, he also wanted to set up different receiving stations because his goal was to replace the transatlantic telegraph cables, which I want to ask you about. Did you have any idea that there were cables across the entire Atlantic Ocean that they would send telegraph messages on? What? Yeah. No, I had no idea. I don't and it was it. made like, I... in in the 1850s. Imagine that fucking job. Imagine, like, like, oh, yeah, what are you how? doing? Oh, I'm about to go to sea for, like, yeah, I mean, think about that. You have to, like, especially if it's, like, in the middle of the two yeah. continents. Well, like, like you would you have to take a boat with so much, like. You just roll I, it out. You just keep going. Like, you know what? Honestly, that, that, that would be a good episode. That'd be insane, like, to find out. And I'm sure it's going to be so much more simple than what we think. They're probably, I don't know. I mean, is there a spot across? I mean, there has to be a spot across the Atlantic that's it so was, It was from England to part of Canada. So it's okay. like, it's kind of like the shortest distance, but it's still, yeah, yeah. what, what was it? Over 2,000 miles? Yeah, 2,200 miles. 
Holy shit. That's insane. I wonder like how I wonder what I want to know what the deepest part of that is. You know, like maybe they found a nice like shallow spot kind of in the water for a good chunk of it, but like Yeah, but yeah, still so you're diving with those miles. old big helmets and all oh of that. Like, and I don't like, know. That blew my mind. Down. What is it made out of? Is it was it just like logs or um, concrete? Or I'm and I'm sure it's we don't know it right now because we already took so much time trying to research how radios work <laughs> that it's okay. Well, we'll probably just do it in a different episode. But just what materials? How how did they get that? And and with boats and this is why we do what's going on because what is actually going on in the history? How did people figure this stuff out? I have no idea. No, I agree. This I saw this and I thought this is something that I want to look into on another episode for sure because i had no idea this even existed and it blows my mind that they were able to do that in 1850 (sighs) like to me i would think that even a trip across the ocean would be so dangerous that not that many people were doing it yeah i guess not i mean imagine you you yourself trying to think of how to build a boat big enough to be able to carry all of those materials you know I just imagine trying to build a boat. I don't even know how to build a tiny little wooden rowboat, you know? Like, I mean, shit, I'd go to Home Depot, buy a bunch of shit. I'd take, like, three weeks just sitting in my garage trying to figure it out. And then I'd just, like, put a couple of hammers and nails and be like, well, fuck, I'm done. I don't know. (laughs) People are so impressive. Oh, I know. But uh, I guess moving on to his experiment to, I guess, replace that, people had, I guess people had a lot of conceptions about how radio waves would actually work. You know, as we previously said, they thought there was a maximum distance, but he proved that wrong. Uh, But another leading theory was that they were only able to travel in straight lines so that when traveling over a very long distance, such as across the Atlantic, the curve of the Earth would cause interference and would therefore not let the message actually be successfully sent. Uh, hmm. So in 1901, he Marconi finally set up an experiment to try and transmit across the Atlantic Ocean, and he claimed it was successful. The message was <laughs> the letter S, which to me is not much <laughs> of a message, but uh, because it's of that, enough. there's been a, uh, some people call, calling or being a bit skeptical about that. First of all, yeah, because well, this was broadcast in bright daylight, which we now know that radio waves travel mu- travel much farther at night. Uh that was not mm-hmm. known then, but I guess that brings into doubt whether this actually happened and then Marconi actually knew what the message was too ahead of time. So, I guess receiving that message which he had said was faint you know, I think he was just kind of grasping at what he was, anything what he, he knew he, he he was trying to receive. So he was obviously very frustrated at that because, you know, that was his kind of grand experiment there. Uh, so the next year he set sail from Britain and towards, you know, where he had originally broadcast and performed a series of tests along the way and documenting all of the changes where... This is when he actually discovered that during the midday was the worst time to actually do this experiment (laughs) that he had done and that the wavelength he used was not actually the ideal wavelength to 
to travel such a long way. Whoopsies. <laughs> so he kind of <laughs> proved his own experiment false, probably, but nice. uh, through all of that, he was actually able to successfully transmit across the the Atlantic Ocean using a an antenna that was made from a a 500 foot kite uh and that's Shit. because it was attached to a balloon but then that balloon had blown away and so they Uh-oh. had to find a new way to <laughs> to have the antenna up in the air wild and what year was that that they did that in 1902 1902 yeah all right so this is where it kind of goes downhill for Pheasanton, because as you can see, Marconi is starting to kill it in basically every single thing that he's doing. While Pheasanton had a huge, like, you know, successful, accidental initial experiment, uh, afterwards, basically every single thing that he was trying to do, Marconi started just beating him at it. And so after he had that initial experiment where he was able to, you know, transmit his voice across a certain distance at about 50 miles the u.s weather bureau wanted him to set up like a full triangle basically like 100 miles to 100 miles to 100 miles and they were trying to be able to get him to repeat that experiment with a you know just a little bit farther distance i mean still quite far at that time but no matter what he did he just could not figure it out it was a super bad struggle for him and once the u.s weather bureau was starting to like realize that you know he was having some issues uh they basically didn't want him to have his job anymore so they basically started trying to work him legally to be able to not can like own his patents but to at least be able to have other people use them but pheasant then you know wanted to be able to work on his own stuff you know he put so much time into it how sad would it be just to be able to give it all away to somebody who they think is a little bit smarter and better that would kind of kill me too. I can understand. He even complained to Theodore Roosevelt, you know, in you know hopes that he could, you know, keep his own patents and stuff. But president really give too much of a care. He just wanted to see some, uh, you know, more inventions and more success. So he kind of blew him off. So Fesden actually left his job after a little bit and went back to Bermuda where his uh his wife's family lived and in doing so he's basically forced now to continue his search for any kind of financial backing for these experiments and you know we were already talking about you know him spending like eighty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars which back at the time is an insane amount an absolutely ridiculous amount so when he back when he went back home he approached the canadian government and was like, hey, is there any type of funding you guys can give me? You guys know I'm good for it. I'm smart, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, I'm sorry, but we've already been supporting Marconi so much um, at Glace Bay when he was doing his cross-Atlantic stuff. So how, uh, you know, another slap to the face that his own home country is giving, you know, an outsider basically all the money for the exact same stuff that he's working on. Little, little, little bit harsh, but you know, I mean, he's a smooth talker, I guess, because he was able to team up with uh, a couple more guys who were, you know, multimillionaires, and they created their own electric signaling company and had a couple of wireless stations built kind of near New York City. So he went, you know, <laughs> back to America when his own country kind of denied him. Um, and even though everything he was chasing with Marconi, he was, you know, losing, but he was still actually. You know, creating an enormous amount of you know new patents and stuff which i'm sure marconi you know i'm sure there's always some kind of you know stealing of stuff back and forth so if anything they were probably using each other's you know newest 
successes is you know to be able to drive themselves forward but uh well he's not to interrupt but for the most part marconi wasn't even that focused on voice or anything like that he was really focused on like morse code messages and all that so i think that's very interesting that that was that fessenden was working on that more so i know i know and how like just disheartening is it though to like <laughs> this is your life goal and some guy who's like kind of into it is kicking your ass for years and years and years and doing it. something it's... that's honestly a little less impressive like i think transmitting voices across the air instead of like messages i don't know i think is a lot more impressive yeah. but that's just me i know i know i i think the only reason why maybe it wasn't super you know blowing up like i would expect it to is because we already had the technology for you know morse code and whatnot so people could automatically see the use for it you know especially you know mm-hmm. think about like you know naval um the planes other other things like that you know could you know you can see that there's proper use and you could see how it'd be useful immediately they just didn't have the big picture like Fesden did you know he was like no 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 we could literally talk like this and be able to just like ah, we'll see it sounds kind of like a science fiction thing you know and so yeah that's a big thing that uh Fesden was pretty pissed off about was you know Marconi's like you know Morse code the like on and off type of transmission that he was doing he was like no 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 we could have this like whole continuous thing where we're talking like literally to each other and like I said he had this whole big picture because he had some type of mathematical background with you know Edison and whatnot but just other inventors like could not see it and so because of that you know he's just using the money of these two millionaires but pretty soon even that dried up because they're just like you know "Ah, we're not really seeing too much progress but either way, they continued uh, building some like radio transmission towers, uh, and he was trying to transmit stuff between Canada and Europe. And so he formed a Canadian company to be able to help him out in doing this. But yet again, they were just it just wasn't working. But he was he was getting so pissed off at this point that he was like, "All right, you guys got to be fucking up because my like math is correct on this." So he was like so confident. He sent his like best engineers and best like technicians to Canada to go like work on this stuff and he had to clean up like 300 patents or something like that so he could have like proper rights and you were talking a little bit about the weather it was during these experiments that he realized that um cold weather and you know long nights are actually the best time to be able to transmit this stuff while warm weather during daytime was you know the most harsh on these uh radio waves and the reason he discovered this was because he was you know doing his local vocal you know transmissions and whatnot that he was working on and um he actually got a morse code response from i think brant rock in canada and they sent a response saying like hey like uh yeah we got your like frequency didn't know you guys were going to be like doing a test or something like that so it just ended up going so much farther than he was expecting and he was like oh shit okay so weather definitely has to you know be playing a factor in this yeah yeah (laughs) which is crazy uh and so using you know the the weather information he actually was able to send a frequency all the way across to scotland during some kind of cold front um and whether or not that was an accident you know, due to the cold weather or anything, it was uh, still impressive. But then he, after just getting that, just getting that first little success over in Scotland, a huge storm actually wrecked the Scottish receiving tower, basically to the point where it was, it was just over and he had like no more money to be able to continue doing that. And if this isn't enough, 
they found out that Canada gave uh, Marconi exclusive rights to build wireless stations in Canada. So no matter where, if he turned home or anywhere in the United States, he basically was just kind of shit out of luck for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah, because I, I was going to say at that time, Marconi kind of started focusing on building a lot of uh, different stations on both sides of the Atlantic and tried to, well, actually produce a service for all of the ships at sea where he would transmit the nightly news to all of the ships that uh, subscribe to that service. And then they'd print out their own newspaper so uh, the people on board could still get what's going on on the mainland, even though they're you know out at sea for however long that took uh, during those days. Yeah. It, oh, dude, it's it's so sad. So, like I said, he had that Canadian company, but then since and it was for building, you know, wireless stations, but he couldn't do that anymore because Marconi just got, you know, the sole rights to that. So he got screwed out with that. And one last thing that's kind of nice about him is that he didn't have a contract, which is pretty funny, with the United Fruit Company, <laughs> and they were the ones that were installing all the wireless stations on ships and stuff around you know puerto rico and anywhere else in the area and on christmas eve uh he sent out a morse code message saying that at nine o'clock to be expecting something a little bit different and then sent out a signal for all radio frequencies to to be tuned in and he actually played them a radio program of his voice and um basically just told a little story over the over the radio and then played a little bit of like christmas music for all those that were stationed and you know kind of missing home um and he thought you know maybe i can at least give these guys you know the best and craziest christmas you know present they'd ever received in their life which is super super nice and that's kind of the end of fezzedin because after that he just every invention that he had marconi was kind of already on top of it and either Marconi stole it or his rich partners eventually decided to that he was losing too much money and so they actually started like stealing all of his patents and then selling it out from under him to large American companies yeah and he returned to Canada eventually and just kind of gave up on everything (laughs) sad end to the unsung hero of the Canadian inventor yeah Marconi's story goes a little different than that for the most part he just kind of worked on building up his business interests there, you know, eventually receiving a Nobel Prize in 1909, along with Carl Braun for their various contributions to wireless telegraphy, uh, which Carl Braun had invented the the cathode ray tube, which Hmm. I guess was used in, in transmitting wireless signals. I didn't really look too much into that but that's when Marconi actually admitted that he didn't really understand how his invention worked which kind of is what drove his success is just not being limited by what people had thought uh, was actually possible at the time Um, you know because most people had thought that it only goes certain distances or you could only have it at, at the line of sight or that the curve of the earth would mess with it and all of those things and he's just like ah I'll figure it out (laughs) Um, but from there, you know, a few pieces of legislation helped to improve his company standings, um, because there were requirements for ships to have, uh, radio equipment on board, I guess just for a more safety reason. And then also having shore 
stations that would be able to accept those radio communications. So that kind of helped get them a base of business there. And then what kind of really solidified it, uh, which is kind of sad, but uh, was the sinking of the Titanic. Hmm. And because the ship was sinking, they were actually able to get a message out and they were actually able to save some of the passengers on the ship before, you know, everyone ended up dying. So because of that, he was kind of brought up as a hero in that situation, uh, (laughs) which I wish I had the quote, but there was something along the lines where the reviewing judge had said that those, I think, 700 people that had survived had survived solely because of Marconi and his invention. So he he gained a lot more popularity because of that. Uh, But the interesting thing is that Marconi was actually almost on the Titanic during its maiden voyage when it sank, but he ended up taking the Lusitania three days earlier, which, funny enough, that ship ends up sinking as well in a pretty similar incident to the Titanic, but that's a different story. But, yeah, I was going to yeah, say, he, that's probably in a different trip. Yeah, yeah. He he ended up missing the sinking of the Titanic by three days because he had so work lucky. to do and stuff like that. Um, I don't rem- I don't know. I don't know if you remember, but I, I remember when we were younger that there, we were over at your, de- your house and we were upstairs on the computer and for some reason we were talking about the Titanic and we were like, is anybody on the Titanic like still alive and we googled it and there was like the last there was a baby on that Titanic and the baby like she ended up living to like a hundred and like four years old or something like that but she died like two days before we had that thought and decided to look it up I don't know if you remember that but it absolutely blew me away and I never I forgot vaguely it. remember that yeah yeah absolutely insane well that was a hell of a story are we done yet oh we are all right (laughs) thanks for listening to what's going on if you have any questions that you want partially answered please write them in to what's going on the pod at gmail.com no spaces no apostrophes no excuses one more time that's what's going on the pod at gmail.com and we hope to hear from you soon write and subscribe on any player of choice thank you